0: Hello and welcome back to the Sense of Place podcast. Now in today's episode, I'm going to be chatting to Dan Shaw, a vortex detective from the US. Now, other than being a vortex detective, Dan is the author of a number of books relating to vortexes, which includes Vortex Field Guide, North America, Letters from the Vortex and Stonehenge Gardening Tips, Using Earth Energies in Your Garden. So the first part of this episode is pretty much me just getting to grips with the science-y stuff in the hope that you will get to grips with it too, you know. So like I said, just understanding what a vortex is and Dan's work talks a lot about how they relate to geometric patterns and then what relates to this is geometric calendars. And then the second half is kind of getting into the more weird and wonderful side of, of vortexes and how that relates to our sense of place. So, before we get into the episode, I'll give you a brief rundown of some of the things me and Dan discuss today. Firstly, we start with the basics and find out what a vortex is and what their relationship to geometric patterns is. How geometric calendars can express our connection to place and in turn, how that can make us feel. What the role of ley lines is, in the world of vortexes and ancient monuments. And finally we have a chat about how Dan became interested in studying vortexes and the importance ancient knowledge plays in reconnecting us with place. So we'll crack on with today's episode now and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for coming on the show Dan and To get going, I wanted to start with the basics and ask, firstly, what is a vortex?
1: A vortex, at its most reduced, is a place that makes you feel something. So, Sense of Place podcast, it's a home run, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Seems perfect to me. Uh, Paranormal vortex is a place where paranormal things and psychic things happen, and I got drawn into this field through kind of a side door. I didn't just fall through a paranormal vortex or an interdimensional gateway. It's a bit of a longer story, but I became fascinated about 20 years ago or more in the effect that places have on people.
0: Now, you talk about the Earth's geometric patterns, and as far as I understand, that's another way of looking at earth structure and the way it connects so how does that relate to vortexes is that related the the geometric patterns
1: or Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i I first became interested in vortexes per se when i got a hold of a couple maps showing the geometric relationship between places there's one that came out in the 1980s called the earth star globe that's a geometric globe, and it shows the geometric relationship between the Great Pyramid, the Bermuda Triangle, Easter Island, these geologic features of ancient civilizations around the world. Uh, this Earth star globe is just one visionary map, uh, one type of visionary map among many types of visionary maps that uh, I became interested in. I published the Earth Star Globe, and people can see that at vortexmaps.com some 25 years ago or more, and so I became interested in all kinds of visionary maps, but in particular these maps where there were patterns and geometric patterns of significant geologic places, but also sacred places.
0: And would you say, so the connection between them, that's where you'd find a vortex, like linked between these geometric patterns?
1: On a global scale, there's a geometry that occurs on every planet. Uh, on the Earth, there's a geometry that it takes a visionary to see patterns at this scale. But when you look at the Earth star globe, what you find is that it's a combination of the icosahedron and the dodecahedron. These two shapes which are called platonic solids they nest perfectly within each other and when you key that compound or dual shape into the nile delta basically the great pyramid what you find is that the other points fall at significant points and this model of this of the earth this geometric model seems to be extremely useful model but again it's just one model of the energy structure the, the subtle energy body of the earth and there are many different vortex researchers and many different perspectives on uh, this subtle energy body of the earth some people see it as a chakra system and i'm just broadly interested very much in uh, this visionary mapping and how people see the earth in yeah in ways that uh, quite uh, spiritual, uh, visionary, and and just extraordinary.
0: Mm. Now, before, I am going to obviously ask you in more detail how these ancient monuments and stuff relate to this. But before we get into that, I did just want to touch on geometric calendars because I I read in your article about this and I found it really interesting just how we as humans connect to the earth and its energies and these calendars kind of express that. So would you be able to, you know, tell the listeners a little bit more about this and how these calendars worked and affected people's lives?
1: It's uh, very much parallel to my focus of study on place and our orientation to place. It's not just a solution without a problem, but there's a very real problem of people feeling disconnected from their place and disoriented. And it's the same with time, really. It's like a separate connected parallel domain between space and time so in time we also have a kind of a disorientation in time that comes from part at least from our following the gregorian calendar which is a really a, a complete artifice and there are there are other calendars uh, for example moon calendars which are much more dialed into the natural cycles, where if we can begin to follow calendars that are more moon-centric, that would help us very much to be better oriented in time. And the overlap between, if I can say, the overlap between calendars and maps is, is really a profound union. Because when we think of calendars such as the Bighorn Medicine Wheel, or calendars such as... Stonehenge to just depict two of innumerable monuments, calendric monuments all over the world. What we find there is that they're just connected to these calendars. These monumental calendars are inseparable from their place. You could take a replica of Stonehenge and move it to Oregon, but it would be almost an anachronism. In a certain sense it would be out of place and time uh the, you know it's arranged for its particular place so uh, as we stand at a or viewing point and we look out over let's say the Heel Stone or some other monument or, or feature on the horizon that connects us profoundly with not just what time of the calendar year but also with place so these Uh, calendric monuments are are maps as well. And the reverse is also true where when we look at a moon calendar, that orients us in relationship to our place in the cosmos. Uh, Whereas the Gregorian Gregorian calendar, by contrast, is disorienting. It doesn't. uh, The seven-day week seems to have been carried forth since time immemorial. But over time, The calendar was essentially hijacked by the Roman Catholic Church to stamp out uh, what they call paganism and and the earth worship and the ceremony at these sacred times and places. So it's all very much interconnected. It's, uh, you know, again, my focus is on place and our relationship to place, but this uh, disorientation and orientation in time and, and the study of calendars, of course all very closely woven into to the ancient monuments and such
0: yeah no I did just find that really interesting when you were talking about because obviously you were kind of you, you spoke of like you know women's cycles and obviously that kind of fits the moon calendar I know you touched on jet lag even and all things like that and it just really made me think wow yeah the calendar's not <laughs> you know we really are very in sync with sort of earth and you you don't think about that day to day particularly but it it very much is in
1: terms of sense of place where we're just inseparably tied up with with seasonality of our place and when we look at the native american observance of of time each different nation of native american people had different names for different moons uh, and the, they were very closely tied to mm, the return of the Salmon, the return of the blossoms, the, the ice, the thaw. So, uh, it, you know, the, the moon cycle uh, can help deeply connect us to uh, our place as well. And uh, it's so closely aligned again with, with what I'm focusing on in terms of vortex maps because we're looking at the electromagnetic frequencies in terms of light, color, sound heat, et cetera, but also other phenomena of the place that impact us as living beings. And so in every way that we have our five senses and beyond, we're, we're just intimately connected with, with the electromagnetic energies and temperatures and pressures and, and winds mm. of our place.
0: Do you actually follow like the moon cycle? Because I know you were saying, I know you. it's hard in day-to-day life because everyone follows the old calendar, but you said obviously it might make you feel a lot better if you sort of stuck with that way.
1: Super challenging. I've almost never found a calendar <laughs> that I liked. I have a kind of calendar dyslexia in a way. So it's it's very close to home for me. So mm. uh, these, we're looking at a kind of um, astro biology in a way because in you know, a very profound and real sense these the moon cycles affects our living electromagnetic field as well as the electromagnetic field of the planet and then that has a relationship back to influencing our living cells yeah? so that the, the moon influences the gravity on earth and, and creates the tides in the daily cycle of the tides The ocean tides actually compress the continents and we get we actually see continental tides due to that moon gravity yeah and then those continental forces actually create cycles of electricity in the continents in the earth and then those in turn affect our human energy field so uh, there's this very real physiological effect that the earth and earth energies, the geophysical energies, have in our living cells. So physiological effect, but then also a very subtle but profound effect on consciousness and where our brain is functioning.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's yeah, it was very fascinating for me to read because um, I do feel like we're probably quite disconnected from that fact these days. You know, you, you just don't take it back to basics and how much the earth, kind of influences us we'll move on now that's touched on the human connection to earth but i kind of wanted to get into the monuments which you know have a relationship with each other and i was going to ask how does the buildings of these ancient monuments fit into this geometric structure you know and do you think our ancestors perhaps would have been conscious of these decisions they made when building these monuments
1: Mm -hmm. well uh, it's uh just a sense of place is the two-part equation between ourselves and the place. Uh, there's there's this other layer really overlapped in the Venn diagram, and that is how we can work with these energies either by building devices on kind of a very small scale or monuments, so that we we know how electricity works. We know that electrical materials occur in nature, whether it be quartz crystals or mica or granite or whatever it is. We find these materials, these materials with electrical properties in the ancient monuments and used in ways that are clear that they understand the electrical properties of the material. So as we look across the planet, we find ancient monuments that are built using very elaborate geometry for one and then also using energetic materials materials that have electromagnetic properties and they're using them in very conscious ways then another layer is that many of these ancient monuments seem to be built with an awareness of this geometric pattern that i was describing earlier the combination of the icosahedron and dodecahedron so we have to think that they were conscious of what they were doing. And so I, I do fall into the camp that there were these advanced ancient civilizations.
0: So another thing is over in the UK, ley lines are very popular. And there's obviously been lots done on that. And I just wanted to ask you, how do ley lines play into this? Are they part of geometric patterns? Are they linked with vortexes or is it a different thing or is that all interconnected is it just a different word for it well
1: all interconnected certainly and we when we look on a global scale we we're familiar with the equator which is that great circle around the essentially around the waist of the earth but you can draw other great circles around the earth and we do find that there are ley lines, let's say, alignments of ancient monuments that circle all the way around the earth. So in other words, similar to equators, great circles of monuments all the way around the earth. So a very advanced kind of ancient engineering uh, for certain. Ley lines, the the term lay came about, uh, you know, uh, relatively recently in England and was essentially coined by Alfred Watkins uh, only less than 200 years ago or so, and referred to alignments of sites, uh, cities that had the sound or the spelling L-E-Y, lay, in the in the name of the town. So hence, he called them lays. Just a fine point there. He, he never called them lay lines and didn't ascribe to this idea that they were energy lines. But uh, when we find rifle straight alignments of ancient and sacred sites in a statistically significant number over a small enough area then we're i think justified in calling these ley lines or sh- straight energy lines but there's other kinds of lines as well there's sinuous energy lines which if you want to split hairs those technically aren't are ley lines and then you can think of vortexes as where ley lines cross so there's a global scale of of these lines and then as you zoom in uh, you see other patterns as you zoom in let's see
0: so basically ley lines are all over the earth pretty much they're just it was just that alfred watkins kind of found them in the in the uk
1: right right repopularized the idea in a certain sense he's the grandfather of of earth mysteries in a certain sense. And yes, the ley lines and vortexes, to my mind, are they're everywhere. There's an infinite number everywhere because as I began to look at the phenomena, I started with what seemed to me the simplest explanation, which is as geophysical or electromagnetic energies and how those influence our our physical body and, and the relationship between our physical body and our energetic body and the earth. In that relationship, a relationship of unity, I like to say, sort of a relationship of unity with with these Earth energies. So I began to look at at electromagnetism as being an obvious place to start in studying these energies. Where I began to look was very much at the the physical cause and I I didn't even uh, uh, approach uh, let's say the miraculous and the metaphysical or the, the, the element of consciousness. So I was looking very much at geophysical energies. and and again, from my my perspective, and I did I went back to school and got a Bachelor of Science in Geography. I'm looking very much at the electromagnetic field of of our place and how variable it is from place to place and over time. So that as we, as living beings, as we move from one place to the next, or even as we're stationary over time, we're exposed to this mm, churning ocean of electricity and magnetism. So, so uh, any place that the way the energy, the, the geophysical energies are different from the surrounding area, that's, to my mind, a kind of a vortex. So those, of course, are everywhere, whether you're at the coast or a mountaintop or a valley or cave or uh, wherever you are, you, you're exposed to these very electromagnetic energies. And so uh, as as I approach it, the vortexes are everywhere.
0: Would you say that vortexes could explain, you know, the sort of strange happenings, paranormal things, myths and legends that have been surrounding places for centuries?
1: Mm-hmm. I do agree. I do agree. Uh, the fellow who first... Coined the term Bermuda Triangle, was looking at clusters of disappearances. And uh, there's another researcher, Bruce Cathy, who's who uh, was a pilot in New Zealand, who was looking at clusters of UFO sightings. And uh, both of these uh, fellows, separated uh, in time and place, both found geometric patterns of uh, these strange phenomena. And it does seem Seem clear that uh, there are places that are associated with with various kinds of, of psychic phenomena. So beyond just uh, places that where we feel differently, we feel elated, we feel depressed, we feel, somebody put it the other day, the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> yeah. Places make us feel things, and some places seem to heighten our psychic abilities, and some places seem to be conducive to paranormal phenomena. Some places... And, you know, you could take the poster child of places, the Bermuda Triangle, Loch Ness, the so-called Devil's Sea in Japan. These places are, they're everywhere.
0: Do you think Loch Ness has like a, a vortex there then or something? Do you think because people think they see the Loch Ness monster?
1: Mm-hmm. It does seem to be pretty nearly dead onto one of the Earth's star geometric points.
0: Oh, really? I didn't realise that. That's interesting. Yeah,
1: okay. Well, you find clusters of these things at a certain point. It just uh, seems to overwhelm probabilities, doesn't it? And what, uh, what else is up near near there is Findhorn, which is also a very rarefied kind of the place where people are seeing uh, nature spirits, working with the nature spirits. such. These places are everywhere.
0: Yeah, I, I might be not remembering this correctly, but I'm sure years ago I heard of a place where you go and you can stand and like you look don't you look smaller or Mm -hmm. something like that that is
1: one of the phenomena that we see at these vortexes in the U.S. we actually have eight genuine vortexes that are open as tourist attractions going under the name of uh, mystery spot mystery hill confusion hill uh etc there's there's actually eight of them around the country around the U.S. that are open as tourist attractions and You'll see various kinds of phenomena there. uh, Some people have feelings of nausea or or, or spinning. Uh, You'll see, you get to experience that a a weight hanging from a chain seems to take more force to pull it in a certain direction than in the other direction. And you'll see this phenomena, we call it the shrink and grow, uh, which is two participants stand face-to-face a couple of feet apart, they notice noticing their relative height. Yes, who's taller, shorter? Change places, and there's a change. There's a change in apparent height, visible to the participants as well as to observers. And in, in every angle, has nothing to do with force perspective or any kind of optical illusion. We understand. So,
0: how does that happen? Like, how do you, do you know? Like, how it works?
1: <laughs> uh, I wish I wish I could say with certainty. I can't. I. I Yeah, I'm fascinated with vortexes because there's this mystery involved and there's no generally recognized science as to why this phenomenon occurs. You can photograph it, you can measure the photographs, uh, of course, protocol for taking your photograph equidistant to both participants, etc. I've done the the demonstration hundreds and hundreds of times because for three seasons I worked as a tour guide at the Montana Vortex and House of Mystery. And then to uh to complicate matters i've also done that demonstration elsewhere uh just uh on the fly at at any random location and uh, sometimes i can i can tell ahead of time that that i'll be able to do that shrink and grow Uh, you line people up along the north and south axis and uh you know we're not used to observing this phenomenon, but when you set it up as an experiment on a demonstrably level platform with people aligned north-south, if you're at an energetic spot, you'll be able to observe. Of course, your best observation point is equidistant to both participants. And uh, when they switch places, you may be able to observe this change in their their relative height. And of course, it may be a purely visual phenomena, or it may actually be physical. Uh, I don't think the juries come back in on mm. that. We call that the shrink and grow, and you can see that at vortexmaps.com and on YouTube, of course, there's, there's endless uh, photographs and videos that.
0: You know you yourself, did you have like a, a strange experience? Is that what drew you more to wanting to look into this, or were you just kind of fascinated anyway by what, what you'd heard about this?
1: Well, it is a relatively long story how I started meditating. At age seven, I found a way to begin Doing a gazing meditation, and started having psychic experiences, and around fourteen, had a UFO appear below the horizon. In other words, relatively close to the backyard of my home.
0: When you say UFO, what do you mean? Like a? Do you mean like an alien or like? a... No,
1: what I mean is that there was a, a bank of very large lights that appeared in the sky, in the uh, below the horizon, really. Up Briefly flashing on and off and kind of in a complex pattern. Uh, no ship flying in or out, anything like that. But uh, to me, uh, it was clearly uh, some kind of UFO. And because of where I was, where it was, etc., I was in an end of a narrow valley. In hindsight, it seems to me clear that this UFO was signaling to me... What it was signaling still remains a kind of an enigma, but uh, that was part of what, and at the time I, I wasn't particularly shocked by that. I didn't become a UFO nut or anything at that time, but it is one of those pivotal moments that set me on the path of questioning everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What you do kind of, it seems, it it like has science backing it up. It seems kind of rational. Do you actually believe in paranormal things still, even though you sort of study this? Are you kind of in somewhere in the middle?
1: Well, I've, I've had a series of miraculous things happen to me. And I have a very, I like to think I have a rigorous scientific approach. So I did, I went back to school to study geography. So I might better understand and explain these things. And uh, I'm interested in, are there energies that can contribute to and enhance our psychic abilities? And can we understand them from a logical, rational standpoint? And I think we can, actually, because there are plenty of devices out there that do deliver various kinds of subtle energies. Uh, You can actually think of it as any device is only going to essentially reproduce or refine something some kind of energy that is available in nature and then these ancient monuments when you study those they just keep revealing deeper and deeper levels of how they work with the energies if you are uh, if you can study the acoustics of the thing and uh or rather <laughs> the acoustics of ancient monuments all over the planet whether it's stonehenge the place for child or any other you can study the electromagnetics of those places Uh, you can study how they use pattern how they use sacred geometry
0: that's just so fascinating to me to be honest just it was from such a long time ago and they were so advanced with what they were doing and i suppose we'll never fully know what they were thinking or how they learned
1: all this stuff seems to reveal deeper and deeper levels of meaning all the time. And to every generation, new information is revealed. Especially now the generation of remote sensing, that if we have a dry year, we find all kinds of new monuments just because of the parch marks in the soil. And you know the technology is, is so amazing. We just keep learning more and more all the time about these advanced ancient civilizations. So my relationship to place is definitely colored by how I feel about this what Might be called ancient amnesia, or you know, wandering around with a kind of certain forgetfulness. Uh, I'm afraid that we're living in kind of a dark age where we don't have a, a even an oral tradition from these ancient enlightened ages.
0: So, do you you're talking about like us just passing on knowledge and information anymore?
1: Well, it's. Uh, it's, I think we're having a renaissance now uh, on the internet of all this ancient knowledge, but it does—it feels like we are coming through a dark age where so much of our history has been lost, uh, and we're we're rediscovering every time we put a shovel in the earth. Every time you dig under ground, you find new new information coming to light.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you there. Actually, that's very true. We're we're constantly like learning new stuff about old stuff. Like, and I think, like you say, with the new technologies and things now, you know, you can see so much more, learn so much more. And we, we can learn a lot from those ancient civilizations. Like I, I say, like, uh, you know, when I was talking about the calendar thing and just our connection and these monuments connection to the earth. And I, I sometimes feel like we've gone so far from that in a way, like just in our day-to-day lives, you, people don't think about how they do Connect to the earth anymore. They just think about, I don't know, like we've got cars, we've got computers, we've got blah, blah, blah. All this stuff that's far beyond those times now.
1: I want to thank you for doing this podcast because this podcast, this sense of place is part of the remedy to this kind of disorientation, uh, disconnectedness that people experience from their place. And of course, the exact opposite is true. We're we're so profoundly connected to our place that the consequences of ourselves disconnecting it is is profound.
0: Yeah, I, it, funnily enough, you know, you when you were talking about your childhood experience with um, the UFO and stuff, I I did touch sort of on childhood and sense of place in another episode, and I think that is when you're a child, you're very open to these things, aren't you? You're very take what you see kind of thing and as you get older a lot of people lose that sense of place some people maintain it and are interested in it like I guess we're both interested in these kinds of things but a lot of people lose it and and I don't know when that happens when they disconnect and lose it maybe it's just the general struggles of day-to-day life sort of thing that they just don't observe these things anymore.
1: Well, we can trace it back pretty directly because we only have to go back a couple of generations to when people live, and grew up, and died in one little village and rarely traveled beyond you know, before the advent of mass transportation. Of course, people had a profoundly different relationship to their place, but uh, as we become more mobile society, people move around more and more. We just have this profound loss so. of, we're not growing crops, so we lose that connection to seasonality. We move from one place to another where different seasonality. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area where we really we, we had dry summers and rain in winter and, and and really no no winter at all. Sea level, never saw snow growing up as a child, and then moved to Oregon, higher elevation, higher latitude. Snow in winters, four, four seasons. So, just a different relationship to place. So I thought it was that was normal everywhere to have rain in winter and dry summers, but come to find out, no, that's pretty rare.
0: Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. Like the earth, it feels a lot smaller now because we're we're traveling all the time. We we don't eat seasonally. We don't grow things. Other people do it for us. We don't stay in one place. I travelled a long distance recently, and uh, so that was kind of my first time having jet lag. And I feel like that really highlights your body's natural sink because you completely throw it off, you completely mess it up, and you feel <laughs> you feel terrible. Like, can't you're awake in the middle of the night? You're not eating properly, and that's one of those moments when you think we're so well, we think we're so advanced in technology and stuff, but then yeah that is still our bodies are still like they follow the cycles of the day and the night and the light and the moon and all that kind of thing.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And all these, all these electromagnetic energies that we're looking at in the first stage of my vortex research, looking at the uh, electrical currents in the earth, the electrical currents in the ocean, the electricity in the air uh, and the first stages of this. Uh, And the second stage of, of, uh, the vortex research, looking at more subtle, uh, energies, uh, energies of sound and color of place and, how, and smell of place and, and how those affect us. But, uh, it's, uh, this jet lag that you're talking about is, is kind of a time lag, uh, and place lag at once. It's, it just kind of highlights how profound, uh, the changes. And uh, it's also, uh, of, I think, particularly interesting, kind of harkens to this idea that as our place on Earth rotates into daylight, the electromagnetic field undergoes this profound change. Just as we're rotating on the surface of the Earth, our place is rotating into daylight. There's this compression of the electromagnetic field that happens as we face the sun. And so, again, we're looking at these electromagnetic energies have a place and then they also have a time cycle so that wherever you are uh, you don't have to travel to an earthquake point or some major monument but you can find a place nearby in your location that has like, just kind of some kind of variation suitable energy for you to be doing your meditations or you're connecting to place and there's very practical Practical steps, uh, just uh, stepping out into nature, uh, connecting with the earth, walking barefoot on wet grass or at the shore, warming yourself by an actual fire, uh, admiring the colors on the horizon. There's uh, eating wild foods and and drinking what I'll call wild water. Uh, So there's any number of very practical steps for people to, Passively and then actively engage with their place to get get a, a more profound sense of their place.
0: Yeah, I've I, I feel like with new age people, this is starting to become quite popular now. Like the grounding, the eating seasonally, wild food, that kind of thing. I think there is people are starting to become a lot more aware of that. I remember reading some article about. It was about when you go to the beach and stuff, and obviously you're kind of grounding at the beach, treading on the sand. And they always say, "Why do you have such a good night's sleep?" And they say, "Because like every time you've been at the beach, and they say because you're you're grounding like to the earth. Like if you go for a walk on the beach in the evening, or you you've been there all day and you come home, you always tend to have a really good night's sleep." So. I suppose that's the grounding happening. And do you like try and follow this yourself? Like, do you try and ground and eat and eat wild food, and or is it quite difficult to do?
1: Absolutely, I'm I'm working on that on all levels of being being more connected to my place mm. in in a direct electrical sense, and uh, being more aware of the moon cycles and having dark, no artificial light at night and, and opening the curtains maybe to let in the moonlight to connect with those yeah moon cycles so there's I, i'm i'm struggling and i'm i'm striving to connect more deeply with my place in that way because i do i experience it as transformative when i uh, walk in a connected way <clears throat> i just have a more magical experience
0: i i think it's hard it is isn't it for the everyday person to to kind of achieve these things especially if you're living in a city because the light like it's the the lights are constantly on and there's not really i assume you couldn't just ground on like a concrete pavement i assume that wouldn't work
1: well there's definitely steps you can take and of course this is part of the urgent need for people is first an awareness of the possibility so every every element in your environment, whether it's light or sound or whatever it is, it can either be a stressor and can be dissonant in a certain sense, or it can help harmonize your cells. And in a very real sense, you can use sound to help harmonize your cells. Uh, But there's all these other elements impinging. So I I tend to be a very sensitive person. And so if uh, the temperature isn't right, uh, that tends to be a stressor for me, right? So we want to we to do good self-care and attend tend to, whether we have natural light or artificial light, the quality of our light. And I look at this vortex effect uh, very broadly. Uh, and, you know, I did come in in my own odd way. Everybody comes into researching vortexes in their own way and I'm interested in paranormal places. But my focus has very much become on our sense of place, how we sense our place, and how can I heighten my sense of place? How can I become more alert to when the smell in the air changes? Have I just moved into a different kind of an ecosystem? If I'm hiking through the woods and I come into an open spot as opposed to, you know, the woody spot, these are there's different subtle energies there in, very, in a very real, provable, scientific way, but also in a more, more subtle way profound magical sense so I get I get excited
0: yeah no that's something I always like about sense of place because I think whatever anger you come at it from whether you believe in paranormal or you don't it's just your gut feeling there's there's is that cross between it being magical and kind of rational and I really like that
1: it does seem to be a, a scientific underpinning that's what I'm looking at I hope is the science behind earth magic so there are Techniques that we can emulate from the ancient monument builders, and we can learn to affect the energy in our own landscape. If you've got a garden of any size uh, or a yard of any size, you can build a monument of any size. And that little what people know as stone henge is at least two parts. One is those stones, and the other part is the henge. And the henge is actually a ring and ditch around the stones. A lot of people aren't aware. That there's a ring and ditch surrounding the stones. And that, that hinge feature occurs throughout the UK and, and Europe. It, and uh, by just building that slight ring and ditch, you affect the energies in the within the ring and in the surrounding area. So uh, you can look at any of these ancient monuments, whether they're obelisks or pyramids or, or step pyramids or... Chamber tombs or whatever it might be, they have acoustic dimensions, etc. I get a little excited. Sorry.
0: <laughs> no, I was, that's fine. I was going to say, so you're saying you could like build this in your garden. Would it have to be on a, a certain spot, or you can just build it anywhere? Would it have to be connecting to these lines?
1: You would want to be sensitive, definitely, to the location where you're placing such a monument both in your little microcosm of your property, because we imagine that you're building it on your property, and it's adjacent property, right? So both on the microcosm of your property and in the macrocosm of the surrounding energy fields, you might ask a dowser to help you select a location, but you can become sensitive, become aware of, uh, and you know more than you understand.
0: So if you built this monument in your garden, like what would what would be the benefit? Would you draw en- energy to it? Or
1: one of the purposes of building such a hedge, a monument of, of any size, would be to filter out the chaotic energies outside of the ring. I think of it as being like a boat harbor. By building this ring and ditch, you can calm the energies within this circle. And I talk about that more in my book. Stonehenge gardening tips using earth energies in your garden. So, breaking down ancient monuments and then how the technologies can be applied to enhance living cells in your own home office.
0: Oh, that's, that's actually a re- really good idea, especially if you're well into your gardening. It's well worth having a go, isn't it?
1: And to me, it's the highest use of understanding these vortex energies, really, it's to enhance our own biology. Uh, the liveliness of ourselves and the fertility and fecundity of the landscape and our crops and uh, our livestock and pets.
0: All right, well, I I I think we'll round up there. I think that's a good place to close the interview. But before we end, where can people find your work and find you on the web and so forth if they want to, you know, read more into this?
1: You can find more information about Vortexes and about my work at vortexmaps.com and at danshaw.com when you send me an email at ask at danshaw.com I'll send you a free ebook I'll send you a free copy of Stonehenge Gardening Tips and I answer all emails so, uh, I really appreciate you and, and the angle from which you're asking these questions I, I hope I've done them justice I really appreciate it
0: So there we have it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Dan and if you want to find out more head over to vortexmaps.com or danshaw.com. For anything else Sense of Place podcast related head over to www.senseofplacepod.com. Here you'll find little extra bits and also if you'd like to make a donation to help support the creation and maintenance of the podcast there'll be links there too. Other than that that's all from me and I'll speak to you again soon.